We'll be in Revelation chapter 21 this morning. Revelation 21. Heaven is going to be an amazing place. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given a vision by God himself, describes heaven for us. The passage we're going to look at, which begins in verse 9 and goes to about verse 6 of chapter 22, in some ways, if you want to think about it in a um, uh, literary sense, he's taking the first eight verses, or seven verses really, of chapter 21 and just kind of expanding on that. It's really what he's doing. He's just taken those first eight verses, which he talks, and we talked about this last week, but he talks about heaven in summary form. He now kind of explodes out a lot of the details. As I said before last week, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about heaven, but what we got is right here. And it's something interesting. It's amazing. I know I will not do it justice. I'm confident I will not do it justice, but I'm going to read the scripture. I want to just take a minute to, with you, ponder on, script, on heaven, just think about heaven and what it means for us. Would you do that with me? We're going to read in Revelation chapter 21. I'll begin in verse 9, and I'm going to read down to chapter 22, and I'm going to read down to verse 6. And let's uh, stand, if you're able to, and we'll read these words together. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a high and great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was likened to, the, to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the twelve gates, at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east gate, east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth, and they measured the city with the reed twelve thousand furlongs, and the length and the breadth of the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, and a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardon, sardonyx, the sixth sard, sardius, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a cypherus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each several gates gate was one of a, was of one pearl. The city of the gates of the city were pure as gold, as it were transparent glass. 
and I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. The kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And, there shall bring, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of, of, a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was there, there was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need, have, they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he saith unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to, the, to show unto his servants the things which must be done, must shortly be done. Let's pray together. Lord. We need your help to hear your word. We need your Holy Spirit to convict us. We need your Holy Spirit to comfort us. We need your light to show us and give us understanding. And we pray that you'll do this in your word and help us to look forward not only to heaven, but to all that heaven is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Heaven is a, an amazing place. It's a place that is full of glory. He talks about there in uh, verse 9, excuse me, in verse 10. Nope, I'm lying again. Verse 11, verse 11, it is a place that has the glory of God, has the glory of God. But it is a place that, as I understand it, if you go to chapter 21 and verse uh, 16, he gives us the, the dimensions of it there, and it is, a, it calls it four square. It's this perfect cube. And everything I could read and all the translations of the, the, the measurements and everything that I could tell, it looks like it's about a 1,500-mile cube, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, 1,500 miles tall, which if you've ever seen this before, you could see kind of the stamp of that 1,500-mile radius really kind of covers about half of the United States of America. But if you could imagine half of the United States of America, but a 1,500-mile-tall skyrise skyscraper. I mean, we're talking big. I don't care who you are, that's so big. In fact, it's so big that in verse 10, the angel had to take him up, it says there, into a great and high mountain. He had to go up really high to be able to see it all. Uh, have you ever been up on the Blue Ridge Parkway at certain places and you can kind of see out? Maybe you can see some of those cities and some of those towns that are out there for a little bit. I know uh, you could see at one point, I remember one point you could see Pilot Mountain kind of at a little place, if you know Pilot Mountain. 
The Powell Mountain, to be fair, is not that big of a mountain, but you can kind of see it there. You know, it's kind of there. You can see it out there. But it, it's still kind of small. But could you imagine that something is so big that to really get the sense of it, to get the view of it, to really see it, you have to get up on something that's even bigger than the Blue Ridge Mountains to get up on top of it just to see out and to see this thing. It is huge, so big. It is also, I think, not by accident. I think it's actually on purpose. It is literally the same proportions, obviously much, much larger, but the same proportions as the Holy of Holies as was in the temple, as well as was in the tabernacle. Literally, that place where God, would, his, his presence would come, there was a perfect cube that was in the temple and then in the tabernacle. It is where God's presence would be. And now, in this moment in heaven, his presence now fills the whole earth. Everything is filled with the presence of God. And it's beautiful. Any way you look at it there, it's beautiful. If you were to go to verse 11, that verse I was looking at before, it talks about that her light was likened to a stone most precious. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a really pretty diamond ring, especially those, those, uh, those, those girls when they get an engagement and they want to show that ring off. And they get that diamond ring, especially one of them pretty ones, and it's all sparkly and shiny. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all with me? Sparkly and shiny? They're pretty. I mean... They're expensive, but they're pretty, and they look, they look nice, and it's, there's a little shimmer to it, just a little, ooh, looks, looks shimmery. That's the look he's talking about, and that's the whole city. It's probably blinding, so light, so bright as it is. He talks about how that this is made of jasper stone, and you hear jasper spoken of throughout, and, and my somewhat educated opinion on this is that uh, jasper is what we might think of as a diamond today, so it's very much that kind of a, a look, of a, that glassy look, a very, very, uh, uh, very clear, of a very clear diamond. So that's at least what's in, what's in, in view there. But the point is, it's, a, it's full of glory. It's a very beautiful place. It has some impenetrable walls and gates. If you go to verse 17 of chapter 21, it talks about how the wall is this 144 cubits which it's really seems to be talking about the thickness of the wall, how deep that wall is. And again, my, my best estimate on translating that into numbers y'all would understand, uh, it's probably about 200 feet thick. That's pretty thick. I don't care who you are. And if you imagine a building that's 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles tall and 1,500 miles deep, and the walls are 200 feet thick, that's what he's describing here. And on every one of the, it's got 12 gates, 12 entry points in it, three on each side, north, south, east, and west. And each one of them, 21, chapter 21, verse 12, says they are marked by the cho God's chosen people, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And as you know about the tribes of Israel, those are God's chosen people. Those are people that God said, they're mine. And I think it's not by mistake that that's who's marking on the gates to say, listen, this is a place for my people to come into. And in verse 21 of chapter 21, the gate itself, the whole gate, it's not made of something that's like pearl, but it says, it explicitly says it is made of a pearl. It is a pearl. That's a pretty big oyster. They come up with a gate that big, or a pearl that big to make it a gate. Now, it's a gate that's never closed in verse 25 of chapter 21. It's always welcoming. Heaven is always open. They don't close. Close, the gates don't close to heaven. They're always open. People coming in, 
I do understand that in heaven, this, this is heaven, this is the heavenly home, there is a new heaven and a new earth, that this is our home, that we will dwell with the Lord forever, this is that place, but that, so there is also uh, probably life that is going on in the universe otherwise, but nonetheless, these gates are never, ever, ever closed. But as much as it's always open, look with me in verse 27, chapter 21, he says that there's no wise enter in anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Heaven's gates will never be closed, but heaven's gates will never allow anything in it that's sinful or wicked. I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired of being lied to. You go to heaven, you go to heaven, that you can't get into heaven with a lie. That's what it says. You can't get into heaven. You can go. If you're, if you're one of Christ's people, you can go, but you might as well leave your lies at the door. They're not coming in. They're not coming in. It's not available. Those walls, those gates, they're impenetrable, but they're welcoming of all that are, that are righteous. They're welcoming of all those, but they're impenetrable to any attack, any force, and definitely any sin. Those, nothing can get into this. It also has a strong foundation. In verse 14, we see it's got 12 foundations. I mean, I think most of us would be, be fortunate if we have one good foundation on a building. This has got 12 foundations. To be fair, it's 1,500 miles tall, so it needs a pretty good foundation, but it's got 12 of them here. And 12, these 12 foundations are all marked by the apostles, those that are sent by God. Verse 14 of chapter 21, it's the apostles' names that are marked on those. These are the people that, who God has sent out to share his truth, his gospel to the world. So I believe that the foundation of heaven is the fact that there are people who have been sent to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's garnished with stones, and I sort of stumbled through some of those names of those stones there in uh, verses 19 and 20, but you can see there every one of those are precious stones. These are things that y'all will pay good money for today, even today, if you went to the, uh, to the department store, jewelry store, you're going to pay some good money for these. These are all precious stones. They're also known as hard stones, meaning that they, 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 uh, they are durable. You're going to have a hard time breaking these stones. And this is merely used as garnish, as best as I can tell. The foundation itself is, is strong, so strong that it's actually garnished with these kinds of precious and hard stones. Heaven's a pretty amazing place. Again, I, I know I've not done it justice to describe it. I've just done the best I can to give you the summary there, but I want to emphasize this for you. Heaven is an amazing place that nothing evil can get in, that is absolutely beautiful and glorious, has the strongest foundation you can imagine. It cannot be destroyed. It is perfect in every way you can imagine. But it says in verse 22, there's no temple there. You notice that? There's no temple there. Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Now, now, I want you to understand this about heaven. Heaven, as perfect as it is, cannot worship God unless and until it has Jesus. It says there that it cannot, verse, uh, verse 22, it, it, it has the Lamb, the, the, the Almighty God and the Lamb are the temple of it. The Lamb of God is necessary for them to be able to have worship. They, can't even, they don't even have a place to do it. They actually have to have the Lamb of God. And I want you to understand that without Jesus, there is a wall of partition, even between heaven and God. That without Jesus, heaven can't approach 
Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no one in heaven that can access God. It is Jesus, even in heaven. Do you see this? Even in heaven, there is no way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And just think about this. If heaven has to have Jesus in order to worship the Lord the way he needs to be worshipped, what do you think you need? Do you think y'all can figure it out on your own? Here's heaven that is saying, yes, to be fair, they, they don't need a temple because they actually have the one to worship right there. But do you know who they have to have in order to worship him? They have to have the lamb. You have to have the lamb. I have to have the lamb. He also goes on to say there that they don't need, in verse 23, they have no need of the sun, neither of the moon. They don't need a dying star, like we need a dying star to have some light here in this world. We, right now it's kind of dingy out there. You know why? Because our dying star is covered up a little bit. You can't see it. At night, we get a little bit of moon from the light, that a little bit of light from the moon, excuse me, that reflected light from the sun. That moon is taking that light from the sun and just casting it down. It's reflected. It's, it's some light, and on a really clear night and a bright moon, you can see a little bit. It gives a little bit of a shadow there. But the point is that we get our light from a dying sun or the reflection off of a moon. But that city in heaven, they don't need the sun. They don't need the moon. Why? Because the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Jesus is the light that they need. The, even heaven, though, it says needs, it needs Jesus. Because here, look at verse 24. The nation of them, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Where's the light coming from? The light's from Jesus. There's no sun in the sky. There's no moon. It is Jesus is the one who's the light. And the nations which are saved shall walk in the light. And it says the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. The point is that the nations, the rulers, walk in the light of Jesus Christ. That's how they walk in heaven. Just like in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, he says that if we, we're going we're to walk in the light, we're going to have fellowship with God. We're going to enjoy that. The point is the darkness can never come in. There's no doubts, there's no shadows, there's no worries. Everything remains open and free. Lies are not allowed. Why? Because they have real understanding, real light, real light that is cast from heaven if heaven has to have jesus to be able to see where to go to be able to see what to do how much more do you and i need jesus on this earth heaven has to have him for the light but they have the light of the world you go with me to verse 20 or chapter 22 in verse 1 it says and he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Heaven, as best as I can tell, only has one source of water. If you go back to chapter 21 in verse 1, it says there's no more sea. This is the only reference that I can see to water. Now again, God could, there could be more, there could be some ponds around there I don't know anything about, but the Bible doesn't tell us about it. As best as I can tell, there's only one source of water, and it's this flowing river. It is a free-flowing river. It is a pure river it is a river of life and it says there that the source of it is it proceedeth proceeding out of the mouth excuse me proceeding out of the throne of god and of the lamb the source of this river literally is coming out of the lamb's throne 
And Jesus has told us in chapter 21 and verse 6, I would like you to flip back there if you don't mind and look at that with me. He says there, this is Jesus talking, he says at the end of that verse, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Jesus has told us already that this water of life, this, this river that's flowing out of his throne, this is the place that you can come. And he says, I want you to come to it, give what, get what you need to get the thirst that you need quenched. He said over in John chapter 4, Jesus is saying the same, this is the same Jesus, and he says in John 4, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, and he shall be in him, it shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So what this water does is it quenches at the thirst of anybody that comes along. Now, uh, just think with me for just a second. Would y'all, would y'all do that? Heaven is a huge place, 1,500 miles cubed, not squared cubed we're up as well i don't know how many people's in there there's a lot of people and every one of those people are are finite like you and i i understand they have glorified bodies and all that good stuff i understand that there's no sickness and pain and i I know that but they have thirst and jesus says i'm going to give every one of those people enough water to have thirst every city you go especially at places like california they have water shortages out there because of the way that the water is provided to them. And, and they've got, I'm not, don't get it wrong, they've got a good amount of water. They also have a lot of people to, to, to water with that, and they run into this problem over and over again. And by the way, it's happened in other areas of our country whenever there's, there's droughts and things like that. The point is, you've got to have so much water for so many people. That's just how the life works. But in heaven, every one of those people are going to have enough to get their thirst quenched. They have enough. And that's what Jesus does is he provides this everlasting, ever-flowing fountain that gives them more than enough, more than enough water to water every bit of New Jerusalem, 1,500 cubic miles. And if heaven, as big as it is, as amazing as it is, as perfect as it is, is looking to Jesus Christ for its refreshment and its life, how much more should you be looking for Jesus in this world that we live in? It's fallen and, fraught and broken as it is. Heaven's also got these, this tree. Look with me here in uh, verse uh, 2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. This tree is an interesting tree because it bears 12 manner of fruits. This is really a fruit of the month club that's coming out of here on this tree every month. There's a different variety. I don't know if this is the case or not. This is just my reading in here. I wonder if every month it's literally something different. And it's not just 12 varieties, but it's every month, as many months as you can imagine, there's a different fruit. I don't know. It's just me thinking. But the point is, even if it's 12 varieties, good gracious, that means there's no season in which it's not putting forth fruit. That means every season it has a different flavor that you can enjoy. If you don't like apples, just wait. There's some peaches coming. I mean, there's just something always there. There's a lot of blooms. It's always giving delicious fruit. And I can imagine if it's heavenly fruit, it's got to be good. Even if you don't like fruit, I bet you'll like fruit in heaven. I think it's going to be good. But what's amazing about this tree, in addition to the awesome fruit that it's giving, look at the last phrase there. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
this tree not only put forth fruit that satisfied the, the soul, that satisfies the stomach, that satisfies the, the taste buds, but it actually is giving off tree leaves that are soothing the hurts and the pains and the distresses of the nations. He says there, it is for the healing of the nations. These are the leaves that are going to be put on the poverty that we all know is existing in our world. These are the leaves that are going to be put on the racism that continues to devastate our societies. This is the healing that's going to be, or the leaves that are going to be put on, on the, the hatred that's going to be put there, the, the wars and the violence and the, and the inter-family in, inter strife. This is the kind of leaves that are going to be put on there. This is what this, is what this life-giving tree provides. The Bible provides to us three different trees that give life in the, in the scriptures. There's three different ones that I'm aware of. One is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24, we're introduced to something called the tree of life. The problem with the tree of life in Genesis 3.24 is that Adam and Eve have already sinned, and they're left out of the garden, and there's actually an angel there protecting the tree of life so they can't get access to it. They weren't worthy of getting this wonderful fruit and these healing leaves. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 2, here we have this instance of the tree of life which stands ready to serve, ready to be available to all of the nations. But there was a third, rather if I want to put it in chronological order, a second tree, because this is the last one here, but the, the third tree, which was on the hill of Calvary, Jesus Christ was nailed to a piece of wood, a cross. He stands there. He provides more than our souls could ever hope for. More variety, more interest. He actually satisfies the soul. Can I just stop real quick and point out to y'all what I keep, I've said this, if I've said this one time, I've said it a hundred times since I've been here. Jesus actually does satisfy. If you can imagine, this is what I'm trying to get across, if you can imagine a tree in your backyard that every time you go out there, it's just weighed down with fruit. And it's good fruit. And every month you go out there, it's a different kind of fruit. And every time you go, it's better than the last time you went. And you get a little pain on your hand, in your heart, in your mind, you just take one of those leaves and just rub it on you and you're all better. Could you imagine a tree like that just hanging out in your backyard? That kind of satisfaction of mind, body, and soul, that's what Jesus provided. Yet he had to be put on a cross to become the tree of life for us. He had to be the one, as Paul puts it, he is preached as foolishness the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness and then you would say well Matthew that sounds ridiculous why in the world would he have to be on the cross I don't know I can only tell you it is true it is true and what Jesus provided because he was nailed to a cross on that tree that old rugged cross because he was he provides to you fruit you can't imagine healing that you can only dream of he provides that to us. So if heaven itself needs a tree of life provided by Jesus, 
watered by his water of life. If that's what heaven needs, how much more do you and I need Jesus to provide us with his tree of life? Ultimately, I know everybody wants to go to heaven. I mean, really, everybody does. But as I think there's a song that goes, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. I think that's how the song goes. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But the thing is, we don't want the thing, the thing, the very thing that makes heaven, heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but while we're here, we're not even leaning on the thing that makes, that we will have to lean on when we get to heaven. Do you know that when you get to heaven, everything will be perfect? It absolutely will be. Do y'all believe that? It's going to be perfect in heaven? It absolutely is going to be perfect in heaven. But do you know that even in the perfections of heaven, that Jesus Christ will be not just there, he will be. Not just available, he will be. He will be necessary. That's When you read this passage, you can't miss that. You take Jesus out of this picture... There's no heaven. Perfection doesn't exist. In fact, you could actually have all the perfections that we think of, no tears, no tears and all these other things, but then heaven takes away Jesus and it literally crumbles. No other foundation can any man lay than that which was laid and his name is Jesus Christ. These 12 foundations, whatever, this whole 1,500-mile building will collapse. It will completely fall apart. You've got 12 gates always open, a big, beautiful pearl, but there is one gate you must go through. You cannot go through any other way. You must go through the gate that Jesus Christ of Jesus Christ. He is the gate. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to look to Jesus for their access to God. Nobody wants to look to Jesus for their truth and their understanding. Nobody wants to look to Jesus for their source of satisfaction. We all want the religious experience. Woo, make me feel good. But have you actually spent a little bit of time and say, Lord, my soul's hurting right now, but I need you to do something. And that might not make you feel good, but it sure will help you to know that the God of creation loves you and knows you and is with you. And that's what you're going to get in heaven. So if you don't like it now, good luck in the afterlife. Because that's all we get in heaven. Unless, of course, you go to hell in which you get the opposite of that. You get the absence of all of that. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but they don't want to find their satisfaction, their healing, their salvation in Jesus. And if you don't turn to Jesus now, what makes you think that the minute you pass over into the next life, that you're just going to be, whoop, I'm in love with Jesus now? What? That's not how this works. That's not how this works. I will guarantee you, if you reject him now, that going to heaven and seeing who he really is is not going to make you like him anymore. I can promise you that. He will be unveiled. He will be unveiled completely. He will be seen for who He really is. And the things that I'm talking about here are not about having some kind of higher life or, or being a better Christian or being some kind of a second blessing. Don't hear me saying any of those things. These are the things that matter whether or not you have eternal life or not. If you can go through the rest of your life, the rest of your week, 
and be just as fine watching TV, going to work, eating out at a restaurant, hanging out with your friends, doing your thing, doing whatever you want to do, and just come to church to get a little dose of Jesus. If that's cool enough for you, I can promise you, heaven's not where you want to go. Because heaven's not like that. That's not what it is. Your eternal life is not going to be based on whether or not you spend a few minutes doing some religious things. Heaven itself is perfect and all buttoned up and just awesome as it is. Depends on, is reliant on Jesus for its light, for its life, for its water. I mean, they don't have anything apart from Jesus. And how in the world are you going to waltz into the gates, those pearly gates, as we say, and say, yep, I'm here for that thing I worked so hard for. And they're going to say, this is imaginary, you understand. This is not how it works at all because you only have this hearing. But they will say to you, what are you talking about? You, you weren't depending on Jesus in this life. <laughs> you sure ain't going to depend on him in the next. And the way Jesus says is he'll say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. Heaven is an amazing place. But even heaven trusts in Jesus. Will you trust in Jesus? I want to ask you to stand. Father, these people that have heard your word, Lord, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit takes it and makes it effective. Father, I... I want heaven. I'm looking forward to heaven. But I think we got it all messed up, Lord. We're looking for the wrong things. Help us to be satisfied with Jesus before we ever die. Help us to be satisfied with Jesus in this broken down, messed up world, Lord. Help these people as they're listening to what I'm trying to say to them, to help them to hear that Jesus is enough. He will make them enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Help them to hear that, Lord. Help them to respond. I pray in Jesus' name.